And in looking at these early chapters in the book of Acts, we're slowing down in Acts 2 verses 42 through 47 as we're spending time looking at what these disciples immediately did once they had heard the gospel message and had responded to that repenting of their sins, being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And the thing that verse 42 of Acts 2 begins with is saying that they were devoted and they were devoted to a number of things. And we've looked at before then how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the Word of God. And today we're going to look at their devotion then to the breaking of bread. I want us to think about that word devoted again. We're going to keep zeroing in on that idea that they were devoted to these things. And if I were to ask you, What comes to your mind if you were to use that word and say that somebody is devoted to something? Like if I were to say you are devoted to a sports team or you're devoted to a TV show or you're devoted to your spouse. What immediately comes to mind when you use devoted in that way? except that you're paying attention to it, right? It's something that is important to you. You give time to it. You give priority to it. And that's what I think you see that these Christians are doing immediately after becoming the followers of Jesus, after Peter preached this sermon, they are now giving themselves to a priority of things, things that are important to them, that they will spend time in and they will care for. And one of them is that it says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, in the New Testament, there's two ways to talk about the breaking of bread. Sometimes you will read about breaking of bread as just a common meal. They sat down, they broke bread together, and it's just simply eating a meal. And then sometimes it's used to speak of the formal taking of the Lord's Supper. And the only way to know the difference is by context. And there's plenty of scholarly arguments in this text about, well, which one is it? Or is he talking about common meals? Or is he talking about the Lord's Supper? I would submit to you that the thing that makes the most sense of what they are devoting themselves to in verse 42 is that they are devoting themselves to the Lord's Supper. Because the context to say, well, they devoted themselves to the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to prayers. And they devoted themselves to fellowship. And they devoted themselves to making sure they ate a lot of meals. One of these things does not belong. (laughs) And so I believe it makes far more sense for this to be speaking about the Lord's Supper. Devoting themselves to the Word of God, to prayers, to fellowship, and the remembering of Christ in the memorial and partaking of the Lord's Supper is far more befitting than saying, and they made sure they ate. I'm all for that. I'm, I'm, I'm not against that. I would sign up for that. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think instead we have these spiritual uh, activities that these Christians are engaging in. But let's then ask this question. Why then is the Lord's Supper so important? And why would these Christians devote themselves to this activity? If you think about creating a list of all the things that first century Christians could devote themselves to, you could probably come up with a pretty significant list of important things. 
And it's worth our consideration to ask, well, why would they be devoted to the breaking of bread, to this Lord's Supper? Why would that be so important? Why would that be first, right after then joining to the Lord, that it says that this is one of the things that they gave priority to and spent their time doing in their lives? I submit to you, and a lot of our, our lesson will come out of 1 Corinthians 11, though we're just going to pick some of the ideas as we think about this devotion to the Lord's Supper, that the big E on the I chart is the whole point of the Lord's Supper is to remember Jesus. There is something significant about Jesus when he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. There's not a lot of commands where Jesus walks around saying, here's all the different things that I want you to do. And I want you to do that in remembrance of me. Love your neighbor as yourself as as you do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't say that. There is this one thing where Jesus says, when you do this, This activity, this is you remembering me. We could probably make an argument that everything we do is in remembrance of Christ. But to think about Jesus specifies of all the commands, of all the things that he says and does. He stops on this one and says, when we come together and we partake, I want you to remember me as you do this. Which I think says a lot about us. It says a lot about us. It reminds us that we are forgetful people. And that we need things to be memorials. We need things to be reminders. It's just human nature that as time goes by from things, we forget. We forget their importance. We forget the significance. We forget the impact. I think about that every time when we come close to December as we are about now. And we will come to Pearl Harbor Day. A day that was supposed to live in infamy. And here we are decades upon decades removed and it's kind of like, eh. That's just nature. That's just what happens. Even think about 9-11 now 19 years ago. You know. One year afterward, it was still etched within us. It drew emotion. It stopped the day. We listened to the names. 19 years later, we kind of just carry on. It speaks to the problem of human forgetfulness. Is that we need a reminder. We need memorials. That's why Washington, D.C. is filled with all kinds of war memorials to remember the lives of those who have fallen because... Otherwise, we forget. And Jesus understood that. He understood that this being the most important event in world history better be remembered or we'll forget. We need something to put us back into the right place, this frame of mind to remember what Jesus has done for us because of all the memorials and of all the events that has ever happened. This is the most important. This is the biggest one. And it is critical for us 
to then realize that what we do when we come together for the Lord's Supper should never be something that is just on the checklist. Something that needs to be done. Hurry up and get it over with. Let's see how many people we can use to get it as fast as possible. And we'll set clocks and blow through it as quickly as we can. Jesus said that this event was so that we would take the time to remember him. It is that important. Of all the things that he said, this one thing, do this in remembrance of me. And so it should carry that significance. When we come to the Lord's Supper, the most obvious thing it's supposed to do is to cause us to stop and truly remember what Jesus has ultimately done for us. Not only that, I think it is interesting that though this word is not used in Scripture specifically, there are a number of places where it's referred to this way, so much so that there's another name that you might have heard when we speak of the Lord's Supper, and it's called communion. You might have heard that word used in, in talking about that. And the reason why is that there are a number of places that speak to a unity, a union that is happening when we take the Lord's Supper. Two areas of that. Number one, there is a union that is being described for us. That there is a joining together of us when we partake. In 1 Corinthians 11, you have three times in that section where the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, when you come together. Three times he says that. There is a participation that is happening. That when we are joining together in this activity, that there is something about that. When you come together, Corinthians, you are then partaking of this Lord's Supper. And so there is a communion just even in that sense. So much so that twice he tells them, you need to wait for each other. Two times in that letter as he speaks to the problems that that first century church had. He speaks of they're just kind of all over the place when they're taking And there is a togetherness when you come together, wait for one another to do this together is a together activity that is supposed to be happening. And I think that's an important message to see here because it is not something that was ever pictured in the New Testament of you just did it by yourself. It's never described that way. It is always described as this Activity of togetherness to the Corinthians. Three times, when you come together, this is a together activity. And when you come together, be sure to wait for one another. And I think we can underscore that with this idea. If you weren't supposed to do this as a joint participation activity together, then why would Paul condemn them for not waiting for each other? You can just... Go individual whenever you feel like it. Then what's he having a problem with the Corinthians about? 
Obviously, that's the one of the whole problems is that it is not this act of togetherness. It is not this communion as God intended. In fact, earlier, one chapter before in first Corinthians chapter 10, he speaks of it that way. In first Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. Notice there's an imagery that exists here. As we are partaking, it is signifying that we are one body, that we are joined together in the body of Christ, that we belong together as members of Christ. There is a a picture of that. As we partake this together idea, which makes sense why the Apostle Paul would speak to these Corinthians in chapter 11 and say, why aren't you waiting for each other? When you come together, partake, don't you know that we who are many individuals all over the place, when we're coming together, this is an imagery of this one body. There's an imagery of togetherness. There's an imagery of us being joined together as we remember Jesus and we partake of these elements. As we are showing that connection to one another. And not only is there this connection to one another that is being portrayed here, which if you think about Acts chapter 2 verse 42, that makes sense. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. What are they doing? They're joining themselves together. They are doing this activity together. There's not a picture of individual nature, but all coming together, partaking together. Then also, it is a union of, with Christ. It is also a picture of a union with Christ. As was just read for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Notice that the picture is not only a communion, a union together with each other as we join together as the body and we remember Jesus. But the Apostle Paul in the very same breath is also picturing that we are connecting and sharing with Christ. Is this not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is this not a participation in the body of Christ? Notice the connection that's being given between us and Christ in this. And so when we eat and when we drink, we are signifying our togetherness as the people of God. And when we eat and when we drink, we are signifying a connection and a sharing with Jesus. You might remember that Jesus said something to that effect when he instituted the Lord's Supper, a phrase that you easily can run by. I tell you, Matthew twenty six twenty nine, I will not drink again of this fruit of vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then the next two, the kingdom arrives. 
The Apostle Paul says we're in participation with Christ as we eat and drink, that we are joined with him in this activity. And you think about that for a minute, that what we are doing when we come together and not only signifying our union together, but as we remember Jesus, we are also picturing a participation with Christ, a participation in the blood of Christ and a participation in the body of Christ. This may be one of the times and as we gather together, those moments that we may not be able to get any closer to our Lord than when we are in that moment remembering him. A time where we're just putting everything else aside and the full focus of the worship is just that connection to him and just remembering what he did, what was gained for us, what was sacrificed for us. That this is our opportunity to draw so close to our Lord at that moment. And it is one of the reasons why for the longest time ever since I've been here, it's been uh, our desire to spend as much time as possible in the Lord's Supper to allow every individual to eat, drink, reflect, and meditate. That we've never been in a hurry. We've never tried to set land speed records and let's, let's move this along. And this is our great chance to stop, to really think, to really consider, to really remember, to understand the connection of what is being symbolized with everybody in the room as we partake, and to understand what is being symbolized between us and our Lord when we partake. That's what the Apostle Paul was picturing, is that we would do this in such a way with our time together to remember what he's done for us, to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to let it truly sink in what we are doing in this moment. As unfortunate as it can be, sometimes that with any habit, we can move into the tendency of mentally checking out and just moving along. And I hope that we would always take the time that is given after the one presiding over the table offers the prayer for the bread and then offers the prayer for the cup. That you take that time and remember. And you take that time and draw close to your Lord and see this as a participation in his body and in his blood. And see this participation of what we are doing together as we partake. There is something else that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 that I think is also important to our consideration of why the Christians would be devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. Why is it so important? Well, it's important because we're remembering Jesus. It's important because it symbolizes our connection together. It's important because it symbolizes our connection to Christ. It's also important because as we partake, we are making a statement. We are making a declaration. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Something is being said as we eat and as we drink. 
We are proclaiming something, making a declaration about something. And to say that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes should really resonate with us. Because as you notice, there's two aspects to what's being said there. One, we are making a proclamation to each other as we eat. Jesus died for you. He died for me. Without words, as we eat, we are making that statement. He died for you. He died for me. You take that bread. He died for you. And he died for me. And then you take the cup. He's died for you. He died for you. This is part of our communion. This is our togetherness. We are proclaiming our Lord's death. And not only are we saying to each other, He died for you and He died for me. We're also proclaiming, He's coming back for you and He's coming back for me. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So there's another statement that's implied here. He died for us and He's coming back for us. As we join together in this worship and remembering Jesus, we're remembering what He did, what was sacrificed. He died for you. He died for me. But then He's also saying, and we are proclaiming, He's coming back. One of the things that the Lord's Supper does is it puts within our hearts a reminder of hope. I know that I've heard many of you say it, and I know that I've said it too, is that, you know, when we come together, it's almost like a recharging of the battery. It's like spiritually getting geared up for another week to go out into the world, to be the light, to show who we are, proclaim Jesus. And in this moment, it's the chance of bolstering faith, and it's even found within the Lord's Supper itself. As we get to be reminded of what Jesus did for us and then also get to state to one another, he's coming back. He's coming back for you and he's coming back for me. You can get through Monday through Saturday as we reground ourselves here today. He's coming back. He will come back for you and he will come back for me. We are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Finally, the Apostle Paul speaks of self-examination in 1 Corinthians 11 and in verse 27 when he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let, the pers- let a person examine himself, then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. I think it is interesting to consider that the Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthians and warns them against partaking in an unworthy manner. We need to be careful about what this is saying. This is not saying, okay, I need to be a worthy person before I partake. That's going to be a fail. Okay, that's not going to happen. We can't be worthy of the sacrifice. That's not what's being called into play. 
But the Apostle Paul is speaking of a number of problems that are existing as they are partaking of the Lord's Supper. There's a number of problems that are going on that he is ultimately identifying as part of this unworthy manner that exists. One of the things of of how the whole section begins when he talks about this problem with the Lord's Supper is he says, I hear that there's divisions among you. And that's a problem. And that's really a problem when you think about what the symbolism of the Lord's Supper is. If the Lord's Supper is us coming together, partaking together, remembering Jesus together as we are then in this union, then how could there possibly be divisions as they partake? That's the opposite idea of what this is supposed to be about. And yet we see that very thing happening when you read 1 Corinthians 11. They've got all kinds of problems. How can there be a division among you? One of the great unifying acts of what we are doing is partaking of the Lord's Supper. We are joined together. We are participating together. 1 Corinthians 10 says, We who are many are becoming here this one body. We are showing our togetherness as we partake. So how can there be divisions? Which I would say also as an aside, but I think an important aside, that there should be great caution to anybody who would cause a problem or make a division about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is supposed to be an act of togetherness, not an act of division, not a place to cause problems. But it's supposed to be this singular moment where the only focus, the only focus is on remembering Jesus. It's the only place our mind should be. It's the only place the teaching should be is simply upon remembering Jesus. He's also warning them. Text says they turned it into a common meal. It's hard to imagine something like that when you when you read that, when you understand the significance of what the memorial is all about, what the purpose of this Lord's Supper is all about to then read about the Corinthians coming together and just simply being flippant about it and whatever. There's no significance. It's just a common meal. It's no big deal. I think that is part of what it means to partake in an unworthy manner is stripping it of its importance, not putting the significance that God wants put there, not engaging of our minds and of our hearts that we are remembering Jesus when we partake. He's warning them and telling them, don't do that. Don't treat it like a common meal. You're bringing judgment on yourself when you do such a thing. This should be of something that would be important and significant to us as we come together and partake. And then he also warns them, you better participate together. Twice in that section, that was also their problem. So you have divisions, treating it like a common meal, not doing it together. They're not waiting for one another. And he says, you're bringing judgment on yourselves when you misuse the Lord's Supper in this way. Finally, I just want us to think about how we can engage our hearts 
every single time when we partake. That as everything funnels into the moment of partaking the Lord's Supper, that we would do everything that we can to make sure that we are engaging minds, engaging our hearts, and truly grasping the significance of what we're doing. The summary of that for this lesson is just simply this. When we partake, remember. This is about remembering Him. Remembering what He's done. Recognizing that we are joined together as the people of God in this activity as we partake. This is not just a bunch of people, a bunch of individuals. But that we together are proclaiming something We together, as we partake, are proclaiming, He died for you, He died for me. He's coming back for you, He's coming back for me. And also, as we partake, recognizing it is a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. We are joining ourselves to Him in this moment. And that we would allow these few minutes to be an opportunity for us to truly engage the heart and the mind to draw close to your Lord Jesus and to remember what he's done and let it impact your life as you think about what's been done.